the 70s when I was growing up, the 70s and 80s, but the 70s there was this thing called a viewfinder. It was a little plastic contraption about this big and you'd put it up to your eyes and there was a little, a little arm that you would click with your finger and the inside there would be this little round dial with little plastic photos. And so you would click and you'd get a new photo into the aperture or whatever that was, where the light was, and you'd see a different photo. So for me, it was, say, you know, Disney and Donald Duck and whatever it was kind of, kind of thing. So it was, a, it was a child thing. So I bring that up because in this gospel here, there are so many things, there are so many vignettes and photos in here. It's kind of hard to figure out, well, which one should I take and, and speak to specifically. Here is a number of them, a number of the photos that I see in that little dial. The evil of publicly exposing a defenseless person to public shame. When these scribes and Pharisees grabbed this woman, committed and caught in the act of adultery, and drag her out and bring her into the middle of this public square. It's just absolutely evil what they're doing to her, shaming her the way they are. It reminds me of being in middle school or high school, and some kids would tease or bully developmentally disabled kids. How shameful. How shameful. Or the evil of trying to test Jesus. That's why they did it in the first place. They were trying to bring some charge against Jesus. Imagine, you know, trying to test God, to trap God in him, and to make God out to be a liar, and then to crucify God. Well, that's what these men have in their mind. And so this is a, a great evil to try to bring Jesus down. And then, of course, there's Jesus' perfect answer to the question. But before I get there, it said that they asked him the question, he wouldn't respond, and then they kept asking, and then he finally responded. So that's something else, too, that, that uh, sometimes God doesn't respond right away. He lets us keep asking and asking before he finally responds to us. But Jesus gives the perfect answer, who, he who is without sin cast the first stone. And it's perfect because the scribes and the Pharisees were trying to get Jesus to judge this woman, and Jesus forces them to judge the woman. No, whosoever of you who has never sinned, you judge her. Throw the first stone. You be the judge. And then, of course, he's also forcing them to judge themselves into a situation in which they know they can't win. They all fortunately know they're sinners. At least the elders do. They're the first to leave, dropping their stones and walking away. And then the younger men, in their passion, realize, well, if the elders are sinners, I certainly am too. Or there's Jesus' mercy in saying, quote, neither do I condemn you. What an incredible act of mercy, of, of pardon, that Jesus would impose upon somebody who has committed a capital crime under the laws of Moses. Those laws were given by God. God had actually said, stone adulterers to death. The thing is, is God also said a few other things, too, that have to be taken into account. And these scribes and Pharisees are not taking those into account when they try to put Jesus on trial by presenting this adulterous woman before him. Or Jesus' profound warning to the adulterer, to the woman, go and from now on, do not sin anymore. This is tantamount to Jesus saying, 
You have been one of the very lucky ones, granted a second chance at life. Don't blow it. If you blow it again, you will not be so fortunate. Woe to you if you should sin again. We almost always forget that one. That when, when somebody has been given a, a second chance at life, especially eternal life, and then we backslide right back into the sins that we were doing, ah, it's so much harder to be saved at that point. Almost infinitely harder to be saved. But this is the one that came to me yesterday afternoon, which I had never seen before because it's not in there. But it's something that you and I would kind of naturally do. And so in my 25 years of being a priest or seminarian, this is the first time I saw this. And it's this. When the scribes leave one by one, dropping their rocks and walk away, leaving the woman, the woman doesn't leave either. I mean, if I was in Iran or any one of the Islamic countries of the world where it's illegal to convert from Islam to Christianity, in all of the Islamic nations of the world, that's a capital offense to lose your life. So you'll hear every year in Pakistan, Afghanistan, or, or Saudi Arabia, or whatever, people who are Muslims who converted to Christianity and are, are now on death row for it. It's a capital offense to leave Islam in a country that can enforce it. So imagine me being in Iran or given any given Islamic nation and I've been working underground to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to people and people are converting to Jesus, etc. And then they catch me. Imagine me being trotted out before the Ayatollah of Iran. You know, he is, he's committed a capital offense. He, is, he has shared the gospel of Jesus with people and they've left Islam to become Christians. And then one by one, all of the people who arrested me and dragged me there leave, and I can leave with them, and I don't. Instead, I stay standing there before the Ayatollah. So this is what struck me yesterday, is the woman doesn't run off. I think most of us would. She stands there staring at him, wondering, who is this guy? Who is this guy? And without lifting a finger or so much as throwing dirt, drove off all these men who caught me in this act of adultery. Who is this man who has the power to set me free? And it makes me think of the four last things. The four last things are death, judgment, heaven, or hell. And that's true of every human being. We will all die. We will all stand before Jesus Christ. We will all be judged. We will all either eventually go to heaven or go to hell. This is our lot. And I'm thinking again of that viewfinder, but now I'm seeing all the scenes of my life. I'm seeing all the scenes of my life. And do I want to run? At my final judgment, as I'm standing before Jesus, like this woman is standing before Jesus, I too stand before him as an adulterer. I too stand before him as a great sinner. The thing is, is I've already died. I can't run now. It's just Jesus and I and the truth. The naked, shameful, incredibly uncomfortable truth. And here at last, I have to trust completely in his mercy. I I can't justify anything. People, (laughs) I've been hearing confessions for 17 years, and there's one sin that people keep sharing I mean, I'm on my little clicker in the confessional. I'm on 2,000-something. 
just since last August. Lots of confessions. But one thing about people when they miss Mass on a Sunday, they always seem to qualify it. Well, I was on vacation, but I could have gone. Or I wasn't feeling so well, but I could have gone. Or something. There's always kind of this qualification about that one, missing Sunday Mass. The thing about standing before Jesus is there's no qualification. He knows better than we do what our real motivation was for any given sin. There's no, yeah, but Jesus, you know, that one on the list, you know, what was going on at that time? He's like, ah, I know what was going on. And it's on this list for a reason. <laughs> so, but here's the thing. This woman stands before Jesus as maybe the supreme judge, right? She's the accused and the guilty standing in the courtyard of Jesus Christ with a high judge to judge her case. But this isn't the relationship that Jesus wants with her or with us. The relationship that he wants with her is that of the father from the story of the prodigal son last Sunday. That the woman standing in front of him is his daughter, his beloved daughter. I I have no idea why she was in adultery. I have no idea if she was cheating on her husband and this is a one-time deal or or he was cheating on his wife and she was a single woman or if she was a prostitute or if she lived in a bordello and, and uh, uh, this was just another client and they stormed into the, into the house of prostitution and they grabbed a random prostitute and dragged her out. We don't know. I don't know. But what I do know is that in the eyes of Jesus, this woman is his daughter. And he's known her from the moment of her conception in her mother's womb. And he's known her deeply and profoundly in love all her life. And the last thing he wants is her damnation. He didn't come into the world for that. He could have destroyed all of us in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. He told them, if you touch the fruit, you'll die. And they did it anyway. He could have just ceased their error at that time. But he didn't then, and he isn't now, for he came into the world to save that woman and to save you and I, and to save the horrible, wicked men who dragged her in front of him, for they're his sons too. So this is the dynamic that our Lord wants with us. Not that of a police officer and, you know, people speeding and trying to get away with it, or a judge and a criminal in his court, but that of an intimate family member him as this beloved, eternal, everlasting, all-powerful father to his children on a rescue mission to save us all. He wants us to love him as he loves us. He wants us to seek to have a personal relationship with him and to change our lives because of him. And here's the thing. Like he said to that woman, and sin no more. We don't have many second chances. Our lives next to eternity will be over in the blink of an eye. In the snap of a finger, we'll all be gone from this world. We have very little time left to sin no more and to become as beloved sons and daughters. 
and to enter into that relationship with them that he wants with us, like the father with arms outstretched with the prodigal son, to come home to him. So next Sunday will be Passion Sunday, where we will relive the trial of Jesus and his crucifixion. And we understand that we're responsible for that. We don't pin that on people 2,000 years ago. It's their fault. No, it's my fault too. Every time I sin and thought, word and deed, it's my fault too. Even the sins of omission, the things Jesus wants me to do that I don't do because I'm selfish and lazy, that crucifies him too. We've still got time. Praise God. We still have time and we have his grace to come into this relationship with Jesus that he so desires for every one of us. A relationship of absolute love and trust in the Father's love and mercy for us.